What's next? Have you ever said that with a bit of excitement? You know, you just finished something that was really exciting, really good, and, and right away you want to know, well, what's next? Some more? Or maybe you've said it this way. What's next? A little unsure about what might be happening. You just experienced some disappointment or, or some kind of a change, and you're a little worried about what might be next. Or maybe you've said it this way. What's next? Just frustrated over what's been going on and not ready for any more of it. And yet you know something else might happen. What's next? That's what I want to talk about next. As we're winding down this year of celebration and our anniversary with that theme, Remember and Rejoice, I want to focus on the renew, the what's next. A few weeks ago, our, our founding pastor, Pastor Valeski, was here and he preached on this theme, Then and Now, to God be the glory. And he took us through the, the beginnings of our church and its history to where we are now. And, and recall that all of this was the work of God, and so to him be the glory. But I want to take it to the next step now. We've done the then. We can look at the now but let's see what God wants us to do next. It's still to his glory, but there's also glory for us. This is part of my series of messages entitled, Lasting Words for the Last Days. As we are in that season of the church here where we focus on some of the last things that God tells us were, will happen, we want to see what his lasting encouragement is for us. Today we want to focus on the words that Paul wrote to the Colossians in the first chapter of his letter. He said, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and will fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Now and next, Paul tells us it's Christ who's in us that hope of glory. Now, do you like a mystery? You know, uh, people get into these mystery shows on TV, you know, where there's, it's not just a whodunit, but what's going on? There's all sorts of different twists as they bring in new characters and new situations, and it kind of keeps you on edge, keeps you wondering, 
what's next? And they keep leading you along, too, because they, they never really solve it in the first or one episode. They go on and on for several episodes, maybe a whole season. Maybe it'll carry over even to the next year. That's a mystery where you're trying to figure out what's going on, what's next. Well, Paul used the word mystery in our text several times. You see it highlighted there. But he wasn't talking about the kind of mystery we like to watch on TV or read in books. His was a good mystery, though. But it wasn't one that kept leading us on and didn't have the ending, and we had to kind of figure it out. When Paul uses the word mystery, it's always with the meaning that God has revealed the truth to us. You see from my underlying words there, it's something God has disclosed. It's been made known to us even though it has been hidden in the, in the past. Well, this morning I'm going to tell you a mystery. A mystery about you and what's going on in your life now. You're rich. Did you know that or was that a mystery? When I say you're rich, you might be thinking, who's he talking about? He ain't talking about me. Because sometimes we, think, we hear that word rich and we think of money, oodles of money and possessions, and that's what makes a person rich. But Paul was telling us we're rich because of the wealth that comes from the gospel. God's message to us, that, that good news about Christ in us and that hope of glory that we have. Now that word mystery is kind of interesting, and so I, I did a word study on it in the scriptures. It's used about 12, 15 times in the New Testament, and it always has that meaning of this is something you could not figure out, but God has revealed it to you, so you know it. And it was interesting how that word mystery was used to tell us about how rich we are. So let me show you the, the revelation of, of God's truth for us and then the good news that it brings us. This passage from 1 Timothy uses that word mystery. Paul said, Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. He's talking about Jesus. And the first thing he says about this mystery is, he appeared in the flesh. God became human. We call that his incarnation. That's what Christmas is all about. God coming in the flesh. Now I'm going to make a statement that I have to warn parents about. You've got to cover your kids' ears. But every day is Christmas. Every day is Christmas because Christmas is about our everyday life, our life now. And here's why. Because it's talking about our reconciliation. That's the good news for us. Now reconciliation, that's what we do with our checkbooks, right? We're supposed to do. We're supposed to balance it out after you spend your money, see what you have left. No, I don't do it. I do the spending. My wife does the reconciling. But it's about seeing that everything is right Christmas is about seeing that everything is right between us and God. 
with Christmas, we often think of shopping, right? You're going to the stores now, see Christmas stuff all around. It's been out for a few weeks already. Kind of blows me away when there's Halloween stuff right next to Christmas stuff. But the Halloween stuff is disappearing now. The 50% off table is getting smaller. But Christmas always reminds us, oh yeah, about the shopping. And shopping means spending. And spending means debt. For some people, they take on a lot of debt. And then they have to have a plan, how am I going to pay all that back? Christmas, Christ's coming, is about debt also. The debt that we owe God. The debt of our lack of obedience to his laws, his rules. But it's not that, we've, that, that Christmas brings a debt to us. It's the fact that we have accrued that debt already. And Christmas tells us it's canceled. Because Christ came to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. He came to be here for us. Christ came and lived perfectly under all of those laws of God for us. So that God now cancels our debt and credits us with the obedience of Jesus. Well, that's good news. Because I don't need a payment plan. I don't need to figure out how for the rest of my life I'm going to do things that God will be pleased with and that will take care of my debt. No, it's already taken care of in Jesus. Now here's another mystery. You know, sometimes as we accumulate this debt, there are also penalties that come with it. Right? If you use your credit card, on your credit card bill, there's going to be a penalty that's termed interest. You've got to pay a little more. And of course, if you miss the payment, there's a late penalty then too. Well, there's a penalty that has come from our debt. It's not a life sentence. It's a death sentence. But the good news is the mystery of Christ's crucifixion has taken care of that. Because Christ put himself in our place to suffer that penalty for us. For God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that from him we become the righteousness of God. Now I know that that's not a new message for you, but it's certainly a good message. It's a message we need now. It's a message that tells us how we are rich with God's grace. How we have all of his blessings because of Christ's expense. His giving up his life for us. And so we call that our redemption. How we have been purchased by God. Back from sin and the devil and eternal death. And now have life with him. Now a third way in which the word mystery is used in the New Testament. Is here in Paul's words in 1 Corinthians. He says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. In other words, he's telling us that by the laws of nature and by the law of God, we cannot live forever. But he goes on. Now listen. I tell you a mystery. A truth that we couldn't figure out, but one that God revealed to us. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. 
For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. The mystery that makes us rich is that of Christ's resurrection. And the good news for us is our own resurrection. This year at, at Apostles, we've had seven funerals already. Just had another one die this week. Now, I, I bring that up because normally we have, at best, two funerals a year. And this year we've already had seven. But I can tell you that for all those families and friends who mourn the loss of their loved ones, they have found comfort and a joy that covers over that death in this mystery of God, the resurrection of Jesus. It was Jesus who said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he dies, he will live. And whoever believes in me will never die. He's reminding us that our soul will always live and be taken to him in heaven. And on the last day, this body will be raised up again and glorified to be like his wonderful body. That's a mystery we would not have figured out and we can't see. But God declares it to us and it's good news. Paul reveals one more thing that makes us rich, another mystery. He said, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. What he's referring to is Christ's ascension and his enthronement in heaven. That though he is gone and we don't see him, it's like Jesus reminded us, he is gone to prepare things for us. It gives us assurance that though this life may be filled with troubles and illness and suffering, and death, Christ reigns. And he rules and controls all of these things for that grand purpose to give us glory. And so these mysteries that are unfolded for us are simply God's way of giving us assurance that we are rich in his grace. Paul said this, We declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. God revealed that mystery and that purpose to us with his promise. His promise of glory that Paul said is this, Christ in you. That reconciliation, that redemption, that resurrection, and that assurance we have is what we get with Christ in us. That's what makes us rich right now. And that also gives us a hope. Now for the Christian, a hope is not a dream. It's not just some fantasy wish. It's a reality. It's a certainty. Because it's based on God's word and Christ's work. That promise he gives us is for glory. Now in life we have troubles, we have suffering, but next, no pain. 
Right now, there are setbacks and there are struggles. But next, it's all gain. A perfect, endless life with God. Are you ready for that? Take a look at your life now. Are you satisfied? Do you want things to be different? Do you want some changes to happen? Maybe it is you're looking for something else to be added. You want something more. You know, there are some preachers today who, who try to convince their, their followers that, you know, if you're a believer, and if you would just obey all of these laws of God, then God will bless you in this life, and you will be rich. And they mean physically, financially rich. We refer to that as a prosperity gospel. That's what they're using to, to hook people into. But God never said that would be that way. He never said we would be rich with the things of this world. He said we would be rich, however, in Christ. And that's permanent. That's forever. And that really is the best. Are you satisfied with your life now? Now, what if you did have a lot of riches in this life? What would you do with it? Well, I'm sure you would use it and, and enjoy it. You'd do something to safeguard it. You probably would invest it, maybe to get more. And then, ultimately, you're probably going to pass it on. Are you doing that with the wealth you have from God? Or are you living like you're in poverty, not enjoying it? wealth God has given you? Are you living like a miser, being cheap with it, holding it back? You know, financial experts have been telling us for some time now that we are at a point in history where we are going to see the greatest transference of wealth that the world has never seen before. That is that this older generation is going to be passing on a lot of their wealth to the younger generation. I've already told my kids, don't count on it. I'm spending it all before I go. <laughs> but there's a lot of wealth that this generation is going to pass on. And that is true spiritually as well. We've got a great wealth in God's grace. What should we do with it? Let's enjoy it. Let's protect it. Let's invest it to see it grow. And then let's share it. Let's pass it on and proclaim Christ. That's the next part. We have it now. Let's pass it on. That's exactly what Paul was doing. That's what he said God had called him to do, to show him what was next. Look at his words again. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Last week, it was a trick-or-treat weekend. 
And as you parents know, you know, there is that 15% mandatory parent tax on all candy that comes in. So we go through our kids' bags, you know, to find out the stuff that we want to tax. And, you know, we just love looking at all those little uh, bags of M&Ms, right? All those little candies, colorful, tasty. You see them, you want them. Did you see the M&Ms in those words of Paul this morning? He was talking about that mystery, that wealth, that good that we have from God. But he's also reminding us we have a ministry to do something. To hand out, to pass on this wealth. You see it, you want it, but share it too. His words were reminding us to grow with those we know. His goal, he said, was to encourage, to build people up in their faith, to bring them to, another M word, maturity. You know, God never said, look it, once you believe, you're okay, you're safe, don't worry about it anymore, don't do anything. In fact, he has spoken just the opposite and warned us that we don't fall away. He told Peter to feed and tend his sheep. That is, to safeguard and to build up those who were already believers so that they would not be taken away. Peter writes his letter and says to his readers, Make your calling to faith certain by paying attention to the word of God, which is like a light shining in a dark place. That's what we're supposed to be doing now, growing together in our faith. So the first thing that we need to do next in our renewal, is this commitment to stay and grow in God's Word. That means regular worship, Bible study attendance and reading, and getting our kids into the Word through their Bible studies and Sunday school classes. Unfortunately, as a pastor, I have seen people slip away from those activities. And unfortunately, I I can't see people's hearts, but unfortunately, I think... Some have maybe fallen away. Don't lose that wealth for you or others. Take on the same goal that Paul writes a couple of sentences later. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Paul had another goal in mind, too. At the end of the letter, he writes this, And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. He was reminding them that we are also to go to people with the gospel, people we don't even know. Paul didn't know these Colossian Christians. He he never met them. They became Christian through one of his fellow workers, Epaphras. And he was simply writing his letter in response to the report he heard. He wanted to encourage them in their faith because he was in prison. I'm in chains, he said. That was his letter from prison. I want to tell you a little bit about a couple of our outreach programs. One that has to do with prison. The, uh, some of our people on staff here, myself, Pastor Chung, and Scott Klein, we've been working with some inmates in the Solano State Prison up in Vacaville. 
and have been doing that for a few months now. One of the inmates that uh, we work with wrote this letter to me this week, and it's addressed to you, so I need to read it to you. Here's a letter from prison. Dear Apostles Church, it is with abounding joy that I write this letter. I'd like to start by saying that I'm not a biblical scholar or a theologian. I'm just a simple man who's been blessed by our Heavenly Father. He's been in prison for 30 years. Who, for reasons I cannot comprehend, has brought you, Apostles Lutheran Church, into my life. Through this relationship, an amazing thing has happened. God's unconditional love is being felt. Being moved by the Spirit has brought such an enormous impact here in Solano that I'm compelled by the same Spirit to share this with you. The grace of God, coupled with the benevolence of apostles, is producing results that can only be described as short of miraculous. As witness to it, it is my belief that each one of you should be made aware of the fruit produced by your involvement and generosity. The following men wish to thank you for seeing them as God's children and worthy of redemption. Terry Weddle, Ryan Rand, Melvin Carroll, Abel Venegas, Alex Hilgado, Fred Walkie, Armando Munoz, Jose Estrada, David Ewart, J.K. James. This, he writes, is only the beginning. Apostles' prison ministry, guided by Pastor Borg, is flourishing. The purpose of this ministry is to spread the gospel. Nothing fancy, nothing complicated. Sincerely in his service, Fred Walkie. Here's what we do. A couple of these guys call me every week on the phone. We have set up for them that they can call us at our expense. And I talk and I just encourage them in their faith. But we also talk about the ministry that they are doing on the inside where we can't go. But then once a month, Pastor Chung, myself, and, and uh, Scott Klein, we go up there and we meet with some of these guys. A nice, friendly, safe atmosphere. We encourage them in their faith. But we also talk about ministry plans as we share with them ideas on how to take the word to the other inmates, and that's what we're do they're doing. They write to me, and then they ask for certain Bible studies. We send them those Bible studies. They work with the prisoners on them. We send them Bibles, and they read their Bibles together. And then they send their studies back to me, and I look them over, make comments, print out a nice certificate of accomplishment, send it back to them. And then they're writing letters to me, asking me for their prayers. We've also been able to help them in that we are allowed to uh, send to them certain items they're allowed to have, like cookies or, or coffee or soap, toothpaste, toothbrushes, shoes. And these guys use these items to reach out to other prisoners as a way of benevolence to connect with them and then to lead them into the scriptures. We have some other amazing plans that we're going to do to try to show a video up there on, on Jesus as the Savior. Just amazing things that God is doing. And that's what Fred was referring to. We don't know these men, or didn't know them. But now God has led them to us. You can help us with that, too. I wouldn't mind a little help looking over those study lessons or keeping track and, and mailing things, or, or if you'd like to make a donation so that we can keep sending them things. There's things that we can do to reach out. These men are so hungry to hear God's grace. And they've heard it. And as you hear, 
It's changed their lives. Well, we do other things here besides our prison ministry. You know, coming up over the next month with Christmas, we've got our live nativity and our Christmas for Kids program, where literally we are reaching hundreds of souls with the message of Jesus. Nothing complicated, nothing fancy, just simple, powerful gospel. We'll be asking you over the next few weeks to consider ways that you can help with those programs so we can reach out to hundreds of people. Reaching out, proclaiming Christ, that's what's next. Remember a few minutes ago I talked about M&M candies? Remember the motto of the M&M candy? It melts in your mouth and not in your hand. My kids, by the way, have proven that false. <laughs> What's the motto for your life? Let it be this. I'm rich in Christ. And what's the motto for what's next? I live to proclaim Christ. So there's just one more question. What will you do? Amen.